Welcome to Centre Church. We hope you enjoy this message recorded live from our Burgess Hill campus. Now, today we're going to be delving into the Old Testament and we're going to be looking at one of the minor prophets today. And uh, today I've entitled the message First Things First. Um, I do have a PowerPoint just to aid us as we go through this together. First things first. Now, how many of you have heard this saying before? First things first. It's like maybe when you're organizing events, a party, a wedding, or whatnot, and you're in a group of people, and you're like, okay, first things first, we need to do this. First things first, let's do that. Make sure this is in place or that's in place. And though not much is recorded on the minor of prophets, these individuals were significant. We, we, we read, you've got your major prophets in the Old Testament. A lot is written on those. Those are your Isaiah, your Jeremiah, Ezekiel. But then you've got towards the end of the Old Testament the recording of what's called these minor prophets. And like I said, not much is recorded, but they are still very significant. They were very significant in bringing God's word to the people at the time, to the Israelites, God's chosen nation, to live and abide by him and for him. And if, you, if you've actually read the Old Testament narrative all the way through, or if you know history, you, you would understand that the Israelites, they often failed, didn't they, in their endeavor of following God faithfully and obediently. So like I said, we're going to be looking at the minor prophet. I know many heads are scratching here thinking, what minor prophet are you going to be looking at, Tom? We're trying to work it out. We're going to be looking at Haggai together, and particularly the first two messages he shared, which are contained in the first chapter. Now, before I go there, because I know Bibles are starting to turn and people want to get ahead of this, I'm just going to share just a little bit of background so we're, we know what is going on at this moment. I think it's very important to understand, okay, what we're reading, why was it said in that moment, what was the significance at the time? then. So the temple in Jerusalem, this was a place of worship for the Israelites, a place where they were gathered together. It had been, it had been destroyed. The Babylonians had invaded and they caused the Israelites to now be in exile. Now it's about 539 BC and you've got Cyrus, he's the king of Persia, and he came and he conquered Babylon. And about a year or so later, he allowed the exiled Jews to return home and rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. However, the group, and it was quite a sizable group, a remnant of Israel, there was about, I think, 50,000, or if not more, returned initially to start rebuilding the temple. And they started the work, but then they were met by suspicious and resentful neighbors who had influence in the Persian court. They came and opposed them. So you can't build a temple. They started to oppose the work they were doing. And so everything stopped. That was it. For 16 years or so, the temple stood still. Nothing continued. And the Israelites just continued to go about the day-to-day, living out their lives, not giving it a second thought. And now we have Haggai. He comes with this word. And he's encouraging the people to restart their work. And as I was, as I was reflecting over what to bring um, a few weeks ago, 
and being drawn to the minor prophets, I felt suddenly a conviction over reading what Haggai brought towards the people. And even though it was a message significant at the time, it's a message significant for even us as a community of believers today. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read through the first chapter of Haggai, but I'm going to read it in parts. And these are going to form the parts of the message today. So it's quite a chunk. So I know when you start reading a huge chunk of scripture, if you're like me, your head starts to wander. And so sometimes it's good to read in sections so we can really take in what we're reading. So Haggai chapter 1, reading verses 1 through to verse 6, it will come up behind me. And it says, In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. It is a time for you, or is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but have harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages, only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Six verses, and yet there's still, there's a lot there. There's a lot that Haggai is drawing attention to, and he's highlighting an issue, and he's calling the Israelites to respond. And again, like I said, it's a message that I think is for us as well. And the first thing is to recognize what has been neglected. Recognize what's been neglected. Now, I want you to look at, if you've got your Bibles as well, look at this verse few verses, it's interesting to note the terminology that is used, because the people were addressed as these people, instead of my people. If you read in the Old Testament, and the times when God speaks to his, the people of Israel, he often refers to my people, my children. But here, they're referred to as these people. And it is revealing how far the Israelites were from their Lord. Sixteen years they left the temple of ruin. And it's even been longer than that. And they had opportunity to build it, yet because of opposition, they didn't. Last year, um, about a year or so ago, I brought a life group series on another minor prophet called Habakkuk. And I shared a message one Sunday as well, just drawing out, highlighting one, one thing. And Habakkuk was a minor prophet that came before the Babylon, Babylonians invaded the, the Israelites. And he was contending with God, who, who was saying, the Babylonians are going to come. And Habakkuk was saying, no, God. It's not going to happen. You are God. You're not going to allow it to happen. And God says, no, it's going to happen. The Babylonians are going to come. But then he says this one word to, to, to Habakkuk. says, but the righteous will live by faith. Even in exile, the righteous will live by faith. 
And now we're on the other side of that narrative, and we see how the Israelites are referred to by God as these people. It kind of seems as though these people's faith had wavered. And it's a reminder, even a challenge to us to be wearing of a wavering faith in our walk with God, even in the face of opposition. With the Israelites, apathy had kicked in. They were saying, the time has not yet come to build a temple. The time It's not now. And so it's almost like they were waiting for something that would never happen because they were unwilling to take action. You know, waiting is good, and faith is needed in those waiting periods when we're, when we're looking to God. But waiting still requires us to move. There's still movement required on our, on our part. And it's not a contradiction. It's an active awareness of what God is doing. So waiting on the Lord requires us to press into him, to seek him, to pray, to, to, to be at his feet. And I love that image of Martha and Mary in the New Testament. Martha was going about getting everything ready, but Mary was actively waiting at the feet of Jesus, listening upon every word that he was saying. It's an amazing example. See, the Israelites, they were just going about their business. They were waiting to see what would happen. What were they doing in this waiting period? Absolutely nothing. They were focusing on their own well-being. That was it. Building their homes, building their lives, while neglecting the very place that would give them blessing. So when I look at the church today, I look at believers today, and I, it's a challenge even for myself. It's like many today don't do God's will because they do not feel the time is precisely right. The time is not yet. And it's who, let me get a response here, who sometimes wait for that big eureka moment from God, where it's like, I just want for God to shine this big light, and then I'll know that's what I need to do. I know I've done that before in my world, God. It's like you read in the Old Testament how they heard from God, and God said this, and they responded. It's like, I just want to hear God's voice. Thomas, it's God. I want you to take two steps forward. Okay, I heard you. I'm going to go. But it doesn't happen like that. We have faith. God's spirit dwelling within us, and it moves us and pulls us in different ways. He moves in ways that we cannot comprehend, but we have to be aware, aware, actively aware, at his feet, listening, trusting in him. And it's like... Why do we, some feel like it's not the time to move? Why do we, why are we not, why do we think sometimes it's not precisely right to do some things? And it's like with the Israelites, I was looking at why are they not doing this? They've, they've 16 years this temple is not being built. And it's almost like it's, they are looking at the opposition to not do what God requires of them. They were faced with these people that were saying, that were against them opposed to them for whatever reason. And they say, oh, we can't do it because there's opposition. 
And I feel that sometimes can be the subconscious in our minds. It's almost like if ever there's difficulty, we're like, oh, maybe the time is not yet. The time is not now. Or maybe it's a call for us to persevere, to trust God, and to face that opposition and press forward. There can often be a temptation to make excuses for not stepping out. And the Israelites faced that opposition and they immediately stopped pursuing that which had been neglected. Like I said, when I was dwelling on this, I found myself getting, getting convicted by this. Those moments when I'm like, maybe God is telling me to do something here and I'm reluctant to do it. And instead of asking why, I just like, so I'm not going to do it. The time is not yet. The time is not now. And I know, again, I speak to myself. I've done this and I've learned to have a different attitude. Is I've often had those prayers of like, God, your will be done. Your will be done. And it, but it can also be that statement, if we're not careful, can be a cover-up for not stepping into action. Because we're like saying, God, your will be done. I want your will to be done. It's almost like, it's off me now. It's all on you. I'm just going to wait for you to move. Your will be done. But sometimes we still need to move. We still need to step by faith. God's will will be done. But sometimes it requires us to still step out in faith. Even facing those opposition at times of difficulty. There's a great conflict on show, which Haggai is identifying here. Now, again, just another question here. How many people procrastinate? <laughs> yes, I do. I don't know whether I'm going to get in trouble with the trustees here, working on staff here, because it's like, I know I have moments in the office when I'm just like trying to get on with my work, and then it's like, oh, this is really difficult. And you're like, I'm just going to... Just take a moment, and that moment turns into five minutes. That five minutes turns into 20. That 20 turns into an hour. And you're like, where's the time gone? <laughs> yes, I think we're all prone to sometimes procrastinating. And I think Haggai here is identifying something with the Israelites. is this conflict between procrastination versus this intentional, willing, absolute resolve to do what God desires for us to do. Haggai makes a statement. He says, give careful thought to your way. The Israelites were unwilling to sow into what had been neglected due to opposition, but also their own personal unwillingness. And if only they knew that unwillingness, procrastination, even for us, if only we know that it's not only a thief of time, it's also a thief of blessing. And in this first point, like the key thought that I want us to take home is that the lack the Israelites were living in, they were living in lack, they weren't fulfilled. And this lack that they were living in, which they thought they were preventing by not building God's temple, was brought on them for not building it. They, were, they decided not to build a temple, and they thought, you know, because of the opposition, it's too difficult. So if we don't do that, we'll be okay. But actually, they were preventing further blessing because they were not building what God desired of them to build. And so the question for us is, 
what are we neglecting in our walk with God personally? There could be things that we're choosing not to do, whether it's struggling to pray or struggling to get into the Word, whatever it is, and there's a choice that we have to either press on and try and do it to sow into ourselves or we're actually choosing to neglect it. Neglect that which is for our benefit. And the thing is, is like when we recognize what's being neglected, it means that we can, we can realize, okay, I need to start to sow into this. So then we ask the question, what's preventing me from stepping into this? And this is the second point, is to identify the conflict of interests. Now we're going to read the next part of Haggai. So Haggai chapter 1, we're going to read from verses 7 through to 11. Again, it, it should come up behind me, and it says this. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build the house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord, because of my house, which remains a ruin while each of you is busy with his own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, and whatever the ground produces, on men and cattle, and on the labor of your hands. Haggai was trying to encourage the Israelites, and his encouragement to us to build what God is asking us to build. Now, this can be both personally, individually in our lives, as well as collectively as a church, a center church. What is God asking us to build? And build the house, Haggai says, build the house. It referred to the physical temple. And And as I was just referring to, though it can mean also the physical church today, what does it mean for center church? We read in the New Testament how our bodies are the temple of the Spirit at work within us. Our bodies are the temple of the Spirit at work within us. Haggai's encouragement and call to the Israelite is a call also to us of the importance of building and enriching ourselves with the right resources to identify what is a conflict with that. The Israelites were settling for building their their nice homes, their nice little dwellings and lives. And again, I know know for myself, and I think if we're honest, it could be true for us, sometimes we can aim for that picture-perfect life. That, you know, I've had those those dreams of, what do you want in life? And it's like, oh, I'd love a house of my own, the white picket fence, the 2.5 children, I don't know if that's still the statistic, 2.5 children in the average family, don't know how that works. <laughs> Need a wife, first and foremost. <laughs> you know, it's like we can aim for these goals in life. And as I, as I shared in a previous message, these things have no eternal value. And sometimes there are things in our life, things that we're aiming for, or things that we're doing on a day-to-day that are habits that can actually breed discontent, almost breed discontent, uh, uh, destruction in ourselves and our loss rather than transformation in life in its fullness. Are we feeding ourselves 
with the right resources. You know, the question I asked myself when I was looking into this was, what is causing me to say no to God? And it's cool for us as well, collectively and individually. When these are these moments where you feel there's a prompting, or maybe, oh, cool, that could be God. What is causing you to say no rather than yes? I'm too tired. I'm not able. I just don't think I can at the moment. You know, there's a conflict with the world that we live in today and the word of God, I find. More and more, it's a challenge to, to live and abide by the word of God. And that can challenge us, and that can be, cause it even more difficult to say yes to God. And I came across a couple of quotes, and I'm going to put one up behind me. I cannot pronounce this theologian's name, so I'm just going to put it up behind me. And the other one, sorry, not that one. <laughs> that one, there we go. And it says, It is possible to have a saved soul and a lost life. Though eternal salvation is assured through faith in the atoning work of Christ, a whole lifetime of opportunity for fruitful service may be lost through idleness and neglect. That's a challenge. See, there's a knock-on effect to our decisions. There is always a knock-on effect to our decisions. And if we withhold ourselves, if we allow other things to stand in our ways of coming to God, to serving him and living for him, we actually not only dishonor him because we're choosing to elevate ourselves by saying, I know what I need right now. I know what's best for me. But we're also withholding potential blessing for others because we are a tool which God can use to reach other people. We are a tool. We are people that can reflect him to our communities. And when we're saying no to him, we're actually not withholding blessing for ourselves, but having that relationship and closeness with God is also preventing other people from seeing the light of God through us and through the lives we're living and then being blessed as a result. You can put up the other quote now, Lorraine. Um, it says, those who plan to give to God once they have enough for themselves will never have enough for themselves. It's truth, right? I'm going to get my life together first. And once I've got my life together, then God, you can have it all. But then I think the challenge with that is there's always something else to aim for in this life. To want to, to I need this first. I need that first. I need to go for this first. I'll, I'll get to you in a minute, God. I, I just need to get this sorted in place. And God's saying, I want you now. I'm asking you to build this now. Don't wait. Because if you build it now, you'll get even, you may get more than you even desire. And it may not be what you think you need, but it's what I know you need. And I want to encourage us today as a church to, to flip the narrative, to serve despite difficulties, to serve through the pain, to pray even though our words are few. God knows our hearts. To seek the word and value of God's promises rather than heed to the voices that say, we can't do it, we're not able, it's not possible. You know, to understand who we're serving, God of God, Lord of Lords, King of Kings, the Savior of the universe, the Alpha, the Omega, he's above all things. We have this privilege of doing life with him. And if he is able, then we are able, right? 
we just have to have that willingness to say, okay, God, I'm going to build what you want me to build. I'm going to sow into my life what you want me to sow into my life. Even if it doesn't make sense, I'm going to do it. Francis Chan quoted, our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of succeeding at things in life that don't really matter. I don't want to get to the end of my life and feel, realize that I've achieved something that doesn't matter. I want to keep going, doing what God asks of me, even if it goes against the grain of the world and society, and even though there could be opposition from friends, from family, or those closest to us, to still say, I know you don't understand, but God has asked me to do this. I know I need to do this. And it's difficult, and it's hard, but the fruit of that is so good. And so when we recognize what's been neglected, when, when we recognize, what well, okay, maybe I need to look into this because I've been neglecting this in my walk with God, and we identify what's causing that, that conflict of interest, hopefully we can do what we see, what we're about to see, is that we can um, be obedient without a second thought, to obey God without a second thought. It's the final point today. And we're going to read the final part of this passage, verses 12 to 15. And it says, Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began work on the house of the Lord Almighty their God on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. Haggai, throughout this whole message that we've been walking through, he made three appeals to the Israelites, and it's three appeals to us. He appealed to the mind saying, where is your focus, your own home or the Lord's house? So it's appear, appealing to the mind. Where, are you, where is your attention? Your life or the life that you have in you? He appealed to the heart. Twice he said the statement, consider your ways. He's appealing to the heart. Consider your ways. Consider where you may be faltering and come in alignment with God. And then the third thing, he appealed to the will. Go and build what I'm asking you to build. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to do what I'm asking of you? Now, what is particularly surprising, if you know the history of the Israelites, is the response to Haggai's message. When you look through redemptive history, when you look at the Israelites, you see how they often question God, how they often say, Lord, I'm not too sure about this. And again, in a previous message, I was sharing about taking hold of the promise and how you had Caleb. They were about to take the promised land. And Caleb's like, the Lord says it's good for to take him. It's good for us to take. But yet, the whole Israelite community said no. They looked at the opposition. They looked at the problem rather than the potential. And so what happened was a whole generation 
of Israelites missed out on the promise because they're walking in the wilderness for 40 years. And what is amazing here is how the Israelites immediately responded. And I think it's safe to say that we're hard-pressed to find such a wholehearted response to God. They didn't question. They didn't challenge Haggai's message. They didn't ask why or what does it look like. What did they do? They did it. They came together and they started rebuilding the temple. Quite often, rather than obey, I think we try and do things our own way sometimes. And um, the, the challenge I find in day-to-day is to give God the order in my life in everything rather than a shelf. Sometimes I can have a shelf and it's like a God-shaped shelf. And it's like, God, I'm going to put you there for the time being because I'm okay. I've got this. And then I stumble and fall and I'm like, actually, God, I need you. (laughs) I need you now. And I think for us as a church, as us as individual believers, those of us in our walk with God, is to, to never give God the shelf but always give him the altar. Always give him the driving seat. Instead of saying, I'll come to you when I need you, it's like, God, I always need you, and I'll come and follow you wherever you lead me. What if we obeyed without questions or second-guessing? What if we gave it a go instead of opting out? Understanding that potentially the very thing we are neglecting or opting out of may in fact be the source of the greatest blessing in our lives. We just can't see it yet. We just got to step out in faith and give it a go. And Haggai's second message is one that we read throughout Scripture. Just those four words of God to the people. I am with you. That should be the encouragement to do anything in him, right? But even I find myself falling short because I don't heed to those words and truly understand them in their fullness. God of God, Lord of Lords is saying, I am with you. I am with you. Just build what I'm asking you to build. Just go where I'm telling you to go. Trust me. Don't try and work it all out. You're going to have difficulties. Isn't that the word of Jesus in the New Testament? In this life you will have trouble. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. I want to be somebody that never says no to God and is still a work in process. I think during my whole life, it's going to be a work in process, but I'll get better at saying, yes, Lord, instead of saying, I'm not sure. I'm not, I don't know. It's to be like, okay, God, I don't know what you're doing right now. I don't know if I can, but I'm going to say yes anyway. I'm going to opt in instead of opting out. And so my question for us, just to close today, is to ask, what are we neglecting? Truthfully, when we reflect on our lives, when we reflect on our walk with God, what are we neglecting? Are we neglecting to spend time with God in prayer? Are we choosing to do something else instead of seeking him? 
instead of reading his word, are we, are we choosing, oh, actually, I, just, I can't face reading the word at the moment. I'm going to do something else. Well, maybe we need to press on. Maybe it's for us as a community of believers today, a center church. What is God asking us to build together? What is God leading us into? What is it that we need to build for him and opt into together for him? What have we been neglecting and that we need to start relighting those fires and say, let's, let's do it? Because as the Israelites, as Haggai was sharing with the Israelites, you've neglected something that's very important. And if you build it, it may bless you in ways you've never even realized. But it may not even bless you. It will bless those around you. Because not only transforming, when your life is transformed in God, other people are just drawn. And I want to be a source of blessing for others. I've been, my life has been moved by God in ways I can't explain. And I'm still on that journey. And I always want other people to come to know of him, to realize that their life is in him. What are we neglecting? Are we willing to obey? Are we willing to opt in to say, God, first things first. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to go where you say go. I'm going to build what you say build. Thank you for watching this week's message. For any more information or to find out more of what we do as a church, you can contact us at info at centrechurch.uk or check out our website at www.centrechurch.uk center-church.uk